Hello, listeners of Very Best of Living. This is Dr. Taylor Hartman. I'm so happy to have you back with me again today. And I have my great friend, Kat Larson, also joining us. Hi, Kat. I'm so glad you didn't get stuck in customs. Not smuggling anything, right? You're, you got through. No, no smuggling. I got through. I think I'm old enough. They kind of look at me and say, "What else could he be bringing?" Really, very, very carry himself. <laughs> so I'm back at home, and we're going to spend today talking about uh, what that was like, the experiences that life brings you, the nuances you get from being uncomfortable, um, stretching, trying new things, seeing new people, um, mm-hmm. which I think be a lot of fun. Yeah. But first, I have to tell our listeners um, a couple things I've been asked to put out there by our business development team. Number one, there is a parenting retreat. It's $275 for a person, which is a great deal. It's Friday, August 5th from 5 to 9, and Saturday all day 10 to 4. And that's in Big Cottonwood Canyon in Sandy, Utah. So that's um, coming up shortly. You can get more information by just contacting um, People Code Parenting on Instagram, people code parenting on Instagram or directly to Tara at TaylorHartman.com, T-A-R-A. And then I'm doing a train the trainer. It's the first one we've done in many, many years, August 5th from 10 to two at my home in Sundance. Um, It's $2,500. It gives you license to actually train and teach our materials that we're doing. So if you're interested in either one of those um, on the train, the trainer, you need to contact Owen. O-W-E-N at TaylorHartman.com. If you're interested in the parenting class, it's Tara, T-A-R-A at TaylorHartman.com. And off we go. Okay. Excellent. So I'm back. Here we go. Uh, Two weeks. One week in Scotland, one week in London. And I kind of wonder where we left them. I mean, I love America, but I like London a lot. But let's start with Scotland. Let's start with Scotland. Because Scotland's where we started. And you know what? my age, I have to keep things like how they happen. So I remember them. Um, so we fly in to Scotland and I am telling you, I mean, I've been there before, but not like this time. So my wonderful wife, who's so good at these kind of things, makes everybody jealous that they're not married to her, puts together for my birthday, this two week experience. And the first night we're in Scotland, we stay in a castle oh. and uh, that was really kind of fun. And then it's getting sad because I'm almost as old as the castle. So when they talk about antiques are like 1950s and I'm like, okay, I'm born in 1949. So I'm an antique now. But but we go to this this phenomenal concert with Andrea Bocelli and it's outdoor in a stadium and we have phenomenal seats and it a little bit of drops of rain once and a very few, just not much at all. No real problem. We didn't even need coats for that. But people walked to the concert. Like you literally walked and it wasn't far, like maybe a mile, but everyone walks. That's what they do. It's so inviting. I can't even tell you how wonderful it was. It was delightful. Then we go to Isle of the Sky, which is up on um, the very top tip part uh, past Inverness. Yeah. And oh my gosh, to think that this is how people live today. Like these vast, beautiful open areas that are stunning, to be honest with you. Uh, then Edinburgh, and we had the luck of the Irish there, even though it's not Ireland. We found great restaurants. Um, 20 right across from the train station was phenomenal. Oh. And we walked so much, and it was it was so great. We took cabs. I drove in Inverness. That was an experience. It was funny. I didn't know this, but just so you're aware, listeners, that driving on the left is 
really right. <laughs> yeah. And the truth is that Napoleon is the one that came along and said, no, I do not want to drive on the left because that's what the British do. So we're going right. And we Americans bought Napoleon's thinking, and then the world followed America. And that's why so many people go the other way. Um, but as I drove with it, it made a lot of sense, honestly. It was really what? amazing. Um, it just doing roundabouts, the way it worked, and oh. the way you navigate um, the cars, it, it just really was. I mean, I, several times I got in the passenger side waiting for the car to start. But that, other than that, it was really um, phenomenal. <laughs> and then we, we go to London. Oh, my gosh. It was just going to the Broadway plays over there the, in the theater district and going out to restaurants. Uh, I have a great friend set us up at the Ivy, which is remarkable. Uh, we, we just uh, we saw one of our favorite guys that we had known in South Africa when we were missionaries there. And he is so yellow and so full of life. And he has a wonderful brother who's a tour guide. Yeah. So we would we went with them all day. We walked nine miles. My wife was phenomenal. All day oh we gosh. walked. And we just sat in the park at Hyde Park. We talked about all the intricacies and the nuances of how it is there. Like I learned the first place sidewalks were built. And of course, when I posted, <laughs> I posted, they did this because the uh, pediatricians couldn't get around the carriages. <laughs> the carriages. So the truth really? is it was pedestrians, not pediatricians. I was going to say the pediatricians. <laughs> it was a late night. Are you night still drinking pedas while you're sitting at home? Is that what the problem that, is today? No, the problem is that I think I'm drinking when I don't drink. It's like ridiculous. But um, it really was learning, just learning that phenomena about um, how sidewalks first got built. And it was just because carriages were too big. And so the people petitioned and said, it's not fair that the Lord's going to have carriages that block our, our walkway. So they actually well, created a uh, sidewalk. I, so here was a question I have, haven't not been there, but heading there soon. I'm manifesting that out in the world. Um, yes. Like when you're there and like, so you always look right. I mean, did you almost get run yes. over? No, yes, we did. Actually, you know what they've done now for us? They actually what? print it on the street. Look right or look left. <laughs> they tell you to do, do they it. Really? Yes, because oh. people don't. Oh, oh it's, it's, it was so many times I thought I was so proud of myself looking the wrong way until I almost got hit. And then I'm realizing I'm looking, but I'm looking the wrong way. It's not going to solve my problem. So it um, says, look this way with an arrow. It says, look right with an arrow or look left. <laughs> <laughs> they dumbed oh, it down for American visitors. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, yeah, I'm sure the press was bad at how many people were getting hit by, you know, um, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, and then, and then I have to say, so of course, you know, Wimbledon has always been on my just bucket list. And we sat in these phenomenal seats. We had the experience that it was like, I first class, we were taking to a a brunch before, like I'm talking the upper echelon of life you're given. And then we go have great seats and seeing the women's semifinal and the mixed double final was just remarkable. Like I, I I would go back in a heartbeat. It was that wonderful. It was just unbelievable. Did you and get to go to a, all the anything that you wanted, or do you have to buy tickets to that Wimbledon stuff? You have to buy tickets. You're, you're not going to typically be able to queue as easily. And and this time, I actually was there once before, many years ago, when I had more time than money. And this time, I had more money than time. So I oh. purchased them in advance so we yeah. could be sure we got in. Good, Because um, I, I didn't make it last time. And that was very frustrating. Yeah, I bet. But it was remarkable. I, I The oh. grandeur of what they do. And I, and I have to tell uh, something very interesting, Kat. So at the end of the day, we took a, a cab out there, right, from the hotel. Uh-huh. And then we were going to get in a cab and go home. And there were no cabs. 
And the person at the head of the line said, you really should just take the, the tube. Like it's the train stations are much quicker here. Uh, transit is different there, of course, than where we are, right? Uh-huh. They have to build around cities that are already in place where we could build freeways much easier. Right. And so when you tell somebody something's easy, you think it's easy because you've done it many times. Right. And I find that also in my work. When I tell people it's not that difficult to forgive, they're like, oh, yeah, right, right. Sure. It's really easy for you to say. So it did help me think about that in my own practice. Like you have to think about this from their perspective, but they were right. It's a, a 10 minute walk. We walked up instead of waiting for this cab, which we didn't know would come when it would come. And we go through the turnstile, but you can only use one card for each person. So I couldn't okay. use a card for my wife and for me. So I used the card for her and then she, she went through and then I'm trying to use the same card. And this person standing there says, you have to have another card. I said, are you kidding me? Like card obviously is good. I just used to, I can't use it again. And she goes, no, you have to have another card. And I said, oh my gosh, this is so difficult. She goes, just go through. Because <laughs> she looked at me probably said, you know, this he's not going to get it. So once I understood that, it was easy. Like you always have to have a card each to get through. But then we get on this, this transit and it's phenomenal. It drops us like literally two blocks from our hotel. And I thought, really? oh my gosh, this is, it's so great when somebody who's done something before knows what to do, shows you how to do it, and you take advantage of that process, right? So that's what I'm thinking about our work here, that I I really want us to help people. I've had several clients recently say, tell me the first step. Tell me the first thing I should do Mm -hmm. in this process, Mm because they're finally sincere about change. Mm -hmm. Like one guy just got out of a very bruising two-year relationship that was, it was tough. And he said to me just yesterday, so what's the first step? I'm reading some books. I'm trying to get better at this thing. What's the first step that I should take in assessing how to become more assertive, right? And I told him, I said, go and take the character profile. Go online, take the character profile or buy the book on uh, Amazon. And it will tell you where you're strong and where you're limited. Mm-hmm. And then pick the limitations that are allowing you to be taken advantage of. Figure the things out about yourself that let people do to you what you shouldn't let them do to you. And he's very blue with some white. I said, I can almost guarantee you what you need help in is red and yellow. You need gifts that you don't have that these people come by naturally. And so there's a natural sense. Yellows and reds have more of a self-centered, selfish nature. Mm -hmm. So they're less likely to be abused or taken advantage of in a relationship. Whereas blues and whites are more likely to kind of accommodate. Or mm-hmm. it's okay, it'll make it, make it work, which is a great quality. That's not a bad quality, except when it's being used against you. Right. So this man is finally owning up to the fact that what he dismissed as not someone he wanted to be like is exactly what he needs to be like. Only keep his motives clean when you do it. So taking that, understanding yourself for who you really are at your best and at your worst, then gives you just the first kind of aha, that's it. And then I'll be honest, that self-awareness actually is worse than better at first. It's painful to see how flawed you are when you actually identify it and then see it. Well, I have to follow it. So, yes. I mean, that's, that's probably important for everybody to think about. What should I be working on to get better? Every day we should get even better in some things, right? And then at the same time, holding ourselves with some honor and, and respect for making the effort. So I have another young man I'm working with who is so angry at himself because he's not been able to overcome the trauma that he's feeling inadequate about. And 
it was interesting when I was talking to him, he got so down on himself. I said, you know, you taking yourself so seriously deprives you of living life. You're not having any opportunity to actually experience life because you're beating yourself up for everything you don't do. So every time he still is making mistakes in an area, he deprives himself of any kind of honor. I am pathetic. I am useless. And uh, so with him, his problem is he gets involved looking at porn. Then he feels unworthy of dating. And so Mm -hmm. he thought that if he disciplined himself and got over that element, he could then justify dating. And I said, well, you're not dating that you got to get back in the game and value yourself while you're making the effort to overcome this. Don't dismiss yourself from the activity that you want until you're perfecting in porn. That's not going to work. And you're going to limit yourself even more so. And he's so lonely and so frustrated not being able to be close to to somebody because he wants that in the worst way. But instead of taking the steps he needs to take to get better, he's actually focusing on disciplining himself and beating himself up and you're not worthy and you're not good enough. And that's never going to work. It just doesn't work. You know, it's so interesting. You're saying this. I, we've got coaching clients, you know, right. That we were talking to as a team that I'm talking to. And the thing that keeps coming up over and over again with several of them is that piece of self-critical versus self-compassion. And why, why we have, whatever has happened, I I have to believe it's something in our culture that beating ourselves up and being hard on ourselves, most of my clients being so hard on themselves and being like what you're just talking about is, is really in them. Um, And and regardless of the color now, reds don't do it as readily, but I tell you, even reds, I mean, even I have a couple of red people that I talk to that, that have that. Why do you think that is, Taylor? I'm just curious. I would love to hear your ideas on on how did we get here in this self-critical, so self-critical? Well, I mean, let's be honest. The whole Protestant mindset that we were built on as Americans was that you are not worthy and you have to become worthy by sacrifice and, and discipline and overcoming weaknesses. And that's how it's built, right? But mm-hmm. internally, everybody has a sense of what's acceptable. And re- like you talk about Reds, for example, they hate to fail. It is so hard for them to admit they ma- they failed at yes. marriage. Many will even stay in one. It's not healthy and they know it, but they just can't accept failure. So even in Reds, right? Blues are the worst because Blues have such high expectations of how life should be lived. Mm-hmm. And if they're not living that, then of course they create the illusion that it's only them that is at fault. It mm-hmm. can't be situations or other people. It's them that make things not work. And And I will be honest with you. Would I rather have somebody take a hit rather than blame others? Yes, of course I would. But if you're only taking hits that are not healthy, they're not legitimate, then that's not healthy either. And and whites are constantly doubting, like, am I really good enough? Uh, they're very fear-based about their legitimacy. And the first time someone you know calls them out as being inadequate or whatever, they are prone to buying it. Mm-hmm. And yellows, they, they can really be hard on themselves. They don't share it. They won't say it to others but they'll feel the embarrassment inside. They'll feel like I didn't do my best. I didn't, I didn't really show up. I could have, but I didn't. Yeah, and, and so I think everybody is vulnerable to that cat. And I do think in a healthy dose, it's healthy with mental health. I think in a, in a, it's like guilt. Guilt is a good thing to have. Like if you don't right. have any guilt for anything in life, I worry about you, right? Right. Uh, right? But if you have too much guilt, then you're not really progressing. You're swimming in your negativity of what have I done? And you're stuck in the past instead of what am I going to do to change that and move forward? 
And I yeah. do find a lot of people that I work with, I talk about a man that, I mean, this man's very successful financially, and he is so busy worrying about how inadequate he is that he is not moving forward at all. And, and I said to him, you're kind of boring, to be honest with you, because all you talk about is how bad you are and how inadequate you've been because this didn't work or that didn't work. And I'm like, I'm frankly, I'm, I'm bored because not, we're not going anywhere. And so um, I, I told him it's time for him to pull himself up and say, okay, whatever it was, was, what can I learn from that? What did I gain from that experience, that failed marriage, that whatever it might've been, what did I learn from that? And how will I be better in the future? If you're not doing that, I think you're limiting yourself. Yeah, I do. Do you think people, um, when you say, like, have this awareness, because there's a space between like when I'm, you know, when you talk to somebody, whether it's my kids or whoever coaching clients, you know, whoever is, is that what you think it's supposed to feel like and what it actually feels like to live in that for a while? Like self-compassion feels so uncomfortable, you know, like being compassionate with yourself, it might be so uncomfortable for an individual and then your first thing is, well, it's not working, so I'm not going to do good it, point. right? Good point. Right? Very good point. Yep, it's true. And, uh, the only thing I can say to that is, and where I've really fought my field, I think my field is horrible about this, but the reality is that there is truth. So if you can use truth as a measure of, should I be okay with the fact that I've been compassionate to myself right now? Is there some truth behind the fact that my intentions are to get better? I want a better life for other people around me. I'm really committed to that. I'm just falling short. That's a healthy place to be. If on the other hand, you're saying, I've never been adequate. I knew I wouldn't be adequate. I could never make this happen in my life. It's something that will never change. Those kinds of reiterations are not truth. They're not truth at all. Oh, that's a great and distinction, so, man. So I, I think that will help free people if they don't get stuck in falsehood that they believe is truth. In fact, this one man, I said to him, so I, I have a question for you. If you had come to see me and for a year, I reminded you how inadequate you are. In fact, really, you have done some very, very inappropriate things and you've made um, business your life as opposed to your wife or whatever, right? And I beat him up. Would you have bought it? He goes, not only would I have bought it, I would have thought you were right on target. I would have believed you. I'm like, oh my gosh. That's where it gets scary to me when someone seeks help and yet they're so uneven, they're ungrounded that they're vulnerable to someone feeding them falsehood and they buy them because it validates their erroneous sense of self. So they buy it and that's not going to help people get better ever. So where's the light in that tunnel? I mean, if I am that person and I buy that crap, where do I, where do I start? Like what the guy asked you. You know, where, where do I start and just, do I question everything? Do I, you know, take a, I mean, maybe take the profile and look at the limitations. I mean, something to give yeah. me feedback, right? My feel is so strong about you've got to get somebody who is legit. Right. That there's got to be legitimacy or, you know, it's hard is, but um, like you have, you carry within you a sense of what's right or wrong or what's good or what's bad. And then if people are so off base, they don't really have a sense. That's really painful. Like they are almost like a kindergartner. I have no idea what to think or how to read or what. I don't know what education should feel like. So how they're introduced to it becomes critical. So Mm -hmm. in the the first part of getting better, if somebody could just sit with what they're thinking is true, write them down and assess them 
like with someone you trust, is this accurate? Like in a failed marriage, what was mine and what wasn't mine? You know, and some, some people, honestly, Kat, they married the wrong person. Like that's it. That's the bottom line. I'm not saying they were perfect. I'm saying they could have worked with somebody else. It would have worked with somebody else. I just talked to a woman, for example, who for 30 years took abuse in, in a relationship hmm. and she has a phenomenal gut. Like she's very good at like blue. She senses things, but she never acted on the gut. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. So unless you act on things that you know, then it doesn't do you any good to have the knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I, I'm thinking of people that don't even have a sense. They're, they're not even sure what is up. Like, for example, I've worked with people that have been in cults. It, it is tragic to me when I see them, like they can't see truth at all because mm-hmm. they've been misled so long that they all, it's upside down for them. And I really struggle with those people because they are genuinely lost. And that's, that's where I think grounding, getting a grounding, like what is, what is truth? What is something I can commit to that's good for me? What mm-hmm. about me is true? That's what I love about the color code and the character code. Those are true, right? And you should sense them as being true. They should feel mm-hmm. right about you, right? So that's kind of a good grounding for people to get if they're willing to do the work to do that. I think there's so much on culture right now that is so fascinating to me. I don't know why I love watching that stuff. Like there's, there's this one, I don't can't even remember the name of it, but the lady was Catherine Oxenberg and her daughter got caught in one of them. And this mm. guy, this just his name was Keith Raniere. And I mean, uh-huh. there's all these documentaries, but you just watch how these people get wrapped around and you're standing on the outside going, they're actually branding women with a branding iron to be part of yes. this group, right? Yes. And you're like, you're like, you're sitting there going, how can you ever think this is okay? It's a good thing, right? <laughs> exactly. No, it's true. How does your mind get so brainwashed you're buying this when it's so inappropriate? But on the other hand, some people, for example, are really good. I mean, we'll give them that. They're very good. It's funny, like my manipulation meter is always running high. Like I'm yeah. always sensing that, right? And so when I see someone who's naive, um, innocent, even those kind of people are vulnerable to somebody who is very intentionally manipulative and works them until they own them. And then they do things like you said, uh, like a frog in a water. If it's hot, it would bounce out. But if it's kind of warmed up as it's in there, it kind of comes to accept it over time. That's what happens in cults. You warm up to untruth and you just kind of buy into it at some point. And it gives you something. There's always a reward. I always tell people when I see them, whatever you're doing, you're getting something for it or you wouldn't do it. There's always a reward in there. And if you can't figure out what that is, you're probably going to stay stuck, you know, believing falsehoods because you're not able to sense why you're sitting in this mess, like a dysfunctional relationship, for example, or the wrong career. Uh, You're not willing to see what you're gaining by staying there. For example, I may stay in the wrong career because I'm too afraid financially. And so that owns me. And that keeps me from even taking a night class in another area I might be better at or more interested in. And that's, that's sad to me. Very, very sad to me. Because so, I would know that if I took a class that I would have to face my truth. Is that what you absolutely. mean? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It would be yeah. too enlightening for you. And again, going back to like ending this thing, uh, talking about travel. One of the reasons I love travel is because it does open your eyes. Like you start to see things differently than you could ever see them in your own home. How you are comfortable, right? And I also have a comment to our listeners. I want you all to know 
that I travel today differently than I traveled when I was 40. And I'm so glad I traveled at 40 instead of waiting until now. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just did it differently. The risk, there's no risk for me at all when I was younger. None. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter what. Mm-hmm. Walking down back alleys in Egypt, it didn't matter to me. I was fine. So I do think there's something to be said in life that it, there are certain um, times like you should challenge certain things at every age, every mm-hmm. decade, instead of just putting it on the side and then opening that door, that possibility when you're older. I think it's really good if people take advantage of opportunities to go do things now in their life, whether it's career or travel or relationships. It's a great opportunity at every decade, kind of peek out around, you know, the corner and see yes. what, what might be there, what might happen. Yes, yes. So that's the goal. That's what I'm giving out to our listeners. Kat, it was great just talking with you again after it's been so long. I know. I know. I love it. It's great. And we're back and we appreciate you listeners and we will be with you next week. Sounds great, Taylor. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye for now. Hey, Color Code family. It's Kathy Larson. I want you to take down a number. I want you to put this in your contact list under the people code. The number is 385-526-2350. Again, 385-526-2350. Text the word VIP to that number and you'll get back from us a request for your name and your email. That way we'll be in touch with you on anything that's happening at the people code, any offerings, exciting things that are coming up. And you can let us know what your needs are by texting us at that number. Look forward to staying connected even more. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.